Let's open our Bibles to the book of Hosea, the first chapter. Hosea chapter 1. We might give you a little bit of introduction about the minor prophets which we're going to study in succession. A lot of these things will be preliminary. Let's read the first chapter, though, before we begin of Hosea. Hosea chapter 1, it says, The word of the Lord that came unto Hosea, the son of Berah, in the days of Uzziah, Jotham, Ahaz, and Hezekiah, kings of Judah, and in the days of Jeroboam, the son of Joash, king of Israel. Notice it says kings of Judah and kings of Israel. The kingdom had divided under Jer- back in Jeroboam's day. The beginning of the word of the Lord by Hosea. And the Lord said to Hosea, Go take unto thee a wife of whoredoms and children of whoredoms, for the land hath committed great whoredom, departing from the Lord. So he went and took Gomer, the daughter of Dibliam, uh, which conceived and bare him a son. And the Lord said unto him, Call his name Jezreel, for I will, for yet a little while, and I will avenge the blood of Jezreel upon the house of Jehu, and will cause to cease the kingdom of the house of Israel. And it shall come to pass at that day that I will break the bow of Israel in the valley of Jezreel. And she conceived again and bare a daughter. And God said unto him, Call her name Lo-Rahama, for I will no more have mercy upon the house of Israel, but I will utterly take them away. But I will have mercy upon the house of Judah, and will save them by the Lord their God, and will not save them by bow, nor by sword, nor by battle, by horses, nor by horsemen. Now when she had weaned Lo-Rahama, she conceived and bare a son, then said God, call his name Loama, for ye are not my people, and I will not be your God. Yet the number of the children of Israel shall be as the sand of the sea, which cannot be measured nor numbered. And it shall come to pass that in the place where it was said unto them, Ye are not my people, there it shall be said unto them, Ye are the sons of the living God. Then shall the children of Israel, I mean children of Judah rather, and the children of Israel be gathered together. The kingdom will be reunited. And appoint them unto them appoint themselves one head, and they shall come up out of the land, for great shall be the day of Jezreel. Now that concludes the reading of the first chapter. And uh, we have quite a bit to say, first of all, about the minor prophets in general. The minor prophets are not minor in the sense of being less important than Isaiah and Jeremiah and Ezekiel or Daniel, that we call major prophets. Their message... Messages are very important in God's program of prophecy. And the Hebrew Bible puts the twelve of these books together and simply calls them the twelve. In the Old Testament, they're called the twelve, who are the minor prophets. And Bible students call them the minor prophets. And it's mainly because of the brevity of their writings. They're very brief. And although Zechariah is by no means a brief or simple book, it's still included. The book of Zechariah would say would be the largest and most uh, not as simple as some of the others. Now then, in each of these books, you'll find a threefold lesson. You're going to find historical and prophetical and practical. You'll find these three thoughts in these in all the prophets, all the minor prophets. You'll find the historical and the prophetical and the practical how it applies to us. And that's very important because everything that happened, each and every one of these prophets that preached and wrote to meet an immediate need in the lives of the people in the historical sense of the word. 
So we have to remember that it applied to them in their day. And then the prophetical, uh, we find that each prophet illustrates or announces something about Israel's future in their judgment that they're going to have and in their restoration. Not only their judgment as it happened in the Old Testament in the historical sense of the word, and their restoration in the historical sense of the word, but their future judgment that is yet prophetic, and their future restoration that is yet prophetic. So we find that these things are not just confined to one uh, incident or one thing in the life of Israel as of old, and that's the end of it. We find that it reaches forth into the future. And then when we talk about the practical, the sins of those nations, or the nations of Israel and Judah, are with us today as far as our sins are concerned, the people of today. Not only Israel's sins today, because they've continued to reject Jesus, uh, the sins of people all over the world today, is we find it implied by what is spoken of by the prophets. We could all fit into the picture of sinfulness as did the nation of Israel. In fact, uh, Paul says in the book of 1 Corinthians, I believe it's the 10th chapter, that all these things that happened to them for examples are examples and are written for our admonition upon whom the ends of the world are come. So it's written that we might not make the same mistakes and fall into the same sins. We'll get in as we get to the third and fourth chapter, we're going to find how God punished them for their sins and how that uh, Hosea's uh, marriage to Gomer and all this is, is so indicative of, of what will happen to uh, you and I when we forsake the Lord as Israel did of old. And so we learn that these sins are for us and the lessons are practical for us to learn. And in Hosea, we see the backsliding of Israel. We see her chastening under Assyria. God used a, another nation to chasten her. Sometimes God uses different sinful nations to do a chastening to those that fall away from Him. And He did that for Israel time and time again. They had fallen away and God would use maybe a wicked nation, a Gentile nation that was more wicked than Israel themselves and full of idolatry. And yet He would use that nation to bring His own people back. Sometimes you and I wonder why, and this is the practical point too for you and I to think about, sometimes we wonder why wicked men oppress us when we're trying to do right, and yet when we fall into sin, we, we uh, really are inviting the rebuke from the world, and God will use that sometimes. Remember what happened to old Abraham when he went down into Egypt, and he began to lie about Sarah? And God had to rebuke him by a wicked king. And he did this twice. He didn't learn from the first mistake. Sometimes we're slow learners, aren't we? And God has to do it time and again to to wake us up. And uh, uh, just as it was for Israel of old, or Abraham in his case, before Israel, uh, we find that uh, it was God's plan and God uses that. So when Israel backslid, uh, her chastening was under Assyria, and then her... The practical side of it was also that there was a future cleansing and restoration that was promised. All this is in this first chapter, by the way. And when we get to studying these names of these three children, all their future, all their present and future is bound up in these three names. God said what to call them. We'll get into that in a moment. He named these children in order to predict the condition 
then and what would happen to them of the future. When we study these names, the names are, we gave you the name in verse 4 of Jezreel, and then the name uh, Loama, I mean Lorahama in verse 6, call her name Lorahama, and then in verse uh, 9, call his name Loama. And all of these three names, and we'll give you the meanings of them, it's good to mark those three things because they're they're very important. So verse uh, 4, you'll find where God said, call his name Jezreel, this first son. And then in verse 6, the, the daughter that was born, call her name Lorahama. And then in verse 9, call his name Loama. We'll give you the meaning of them a little bit. You've probably got them in the margin of your Bible. If you have any kind of ref, reference system at all in your Bible, you probably have the meaning there. But we'll give you the actual, what we feel is the most simple of, of the meaning in a moment. Or when we get to it. But we're going to try to get the best we can out of these studies. And if you don't lay a good background and foundation for it, well, you're not going to get the real meaning of what it's all about. And that's why we're spending more time on this introduction to, to the minor prophets than uh, maybe you feel necessary. So we see also then in this book, as well as the other prophecies, uh, prophets that we'll study, the minor prophets, uh, a lesson for believers today who disobey the Lord and commit spiritual adultery. By following the world. You know, James says, Ye adulterers and adulterers, adulteresses, know ye not that friendship with the world is enmity with God. So, James applies Christians that leave uh, God for the world as committing spiritual adultery. When we think of physical adultery, we think that person's unfaithful in their marriage vows. But when we think of the fact that we're joined to God, and we leave God for the world, we've committed spiritual adultery. As Israel did of old. Well, I wonder how many people we have fit in that category today. Plenty, don't we? That turn away from God and turn back to the world. And as, you, as we quoted in the book of James, you'll find that that scripture says, Know ye not that friendship with the world is enmity with God. He says, You adulterers and adulteresses. And that's the condition that James places. Unfaithful believers who turn back to the world. Uh, that's what they're, they're called. Now then, as far as Hosea himself is concerned, let me give you some things here. The name Hosea, you might write this. Some of these things are worthy of you writing right in the top of the book or in the margin there if you have a place. But the name Hosea means salvation. Hosea means salvation. And he preached in the northern kingdom of Israel. And Israel at that time was also called in time and uh, time and time again Ephraim. So when God speaks to Ephraim in the book, He's addressing Israel. So there was Israel and Judah, the ten tribes of Israel, and the two tribes of Judah. Judah and uh, well, I have to go back and get the history. But what I want to say is that there were two tribes and ten tribes. And uh, anyway, you'll find that uh, Hosea priest of the northern kingdom. If you have a chart, and I have one, but I take time to go into the dates and years of when and to whom these prophets preached, and it shows which kingdom and what years they preached to various ones, either Israel or Judah. But that would take a more timely study, and I don't want to, uh, even though I want to give you all the information I can, I don't want it to be boring. So, what we said that he preached to the northern kingdom, 
And he preached during a period of national decline. That's when the nation was turning away from God. He would fit pretty good preaching to America today, wouldn't he? Preaching in a period of national decline. And I don't believe we found any time that the nation has not been, at least in these recent years, of national decline as, as much as it is now. Maybe sometimes in the past, but I can't remember in my lifetime. It's in national decline today. And you know, when most of us or some of us were children, we didn't have half the things confront uh, us as in the wicked form of wickedness and and uh, blatant rebellion, low morals as we find today. I mean, when we were growing up, that is my age, mothers and dads made their children do right and live right. And if they got off on the wrong track, well, they didn't mind spanking their, giving the Board of Education on the seat of knowledge. And now it's against the rules. And that's why we have so many going astray too, regardless of what they say. And I'm not talking about being cruel. I'm not talking about abuse. I'm talking about correction. As God sees it. And I'm not talking about that any parent should should uh, hurt a child, but they surely should correct a child. And uh, that's where we're getting off on the wrong track today. But um, this national decline, of course, is uh, something that we need to think about. And when Hosea started his ministry, Jeroboam II was king. And it was a time of great prosperity, but the whole nation was rotting away inwardly. And getting involved in foreign, foreign alliances instead of trusting God to lead and protect them, they were getting uh, their support from foreign alliances. Talk about an up-to-date book. Where do we draw on our power today? From God or from foreign alliances? That's exactly what we're trying to do today. We say one nation under God. Well, let's let it be one nation under God. And if the rest of the world is going to thumb their nose at us, well, that's their problem. That's their problem. Let's stick for God. And the trouble is we have so many that are, that are within that are of the same character as many of the backslidden of Israel, and they're going the wrong direction too. So, you know, this book, even the comments we made so far, doesn't that bring us up to date as far as this nation is concerned? And people are trusting in this national alliance for their protection. Now, Hosea lived to see Israel taken captive by the Assyrians in 721 B.C. And if you read the book of 2 Kings, chapters 15 through 17, you'll find some historical background for what we've been talking about. How that they were departing and preparing for the captivity that came to them by the Assyrians. And God promised it. He, I mean, God said that that's what's going to happen. Now, three things about Hosea here in his message that I want to point out before we really get into some other things. Hosea's message is to the nation of Israel, exposing their sins and warning them of coming judgment. Hosea was a prophet that exposed the sins of the nation, and he warned them if they didn't repent of their sins, God's judgment would come. I mean, the message is pretty modern too, isn't it? If we would preach how uh, sins, the sins of our nation... And, and show that they are, and expose the sins of the people of our nation and warn them of God's judgment, there might be hope of some future. And then the second thing, there's also a message of the hope 
for the future. As we will see in the book of Hosea, there's a promise of future hope for them if they will repent. But now, Hosea, the unique thing about the book of Hosea is that God had him to live this backslidden condition for himself before he could preach it to the people. This prophet had to experience the deep agony of his own marriage. Remember what we read in verse 2? The Lord said unto Hosea, Go take unto thee a wife of whoredoms and children of whoredoms, for the land hath committed great whoredom departing from the Lord. He uses Hosea's own experience to show how he felt about the nation, of the people of Israel. So he had to experience the deep agony of what God felt about his union with Israel. See, Israel was declared to be Jehovah's wife. She belonged to God. So did this woman belong to, to, to uh, Hosea. And when we get into the deep of the message, we'll find that uh, because of the sins of his wife, that he, had, he experienced the same thing that God felt about his own people. But all of this was a divinely sent object lesson to him and to his people. Now then, let me just give you something about uh, Israel's unfaithfulness and how it's pictured. The first three chapters, now remember this, you can put some of these little notes down here, here and there because I believe they're very important. The first three chapters shows Israel, Israel's unfaithfulness. It's pictured by what happens to Hosea and in his married life. Hosea wanted to marry a woman named Gomer. And God permitted him to do it, but warned them that she would break his heart, just like Israel had broken God's heart. And God's warning came true. God has never given a warning that did not come true. If God warns, He means business about it. Sometimes people take God's Word and God's warnings too light, too lightly. They take God's Word in general too lightly. He not only warns of judgment, but God, in, in, by the same token, promises uh, forgiveness and whether in extending mercy and he promises forgiveness to those who repent. You know the trouble with mankind? We don't repent. We just stay on the ground of uh, rebellion. So many people. And when we have that attitude, we cannot expect God's mercy to be bestowed upon us with His chastening rod if we're His children and His judgment if we're not. His terrible judgment. The Bible says, He that being often reproved hardeneth his neck shall suddenly be destroyed and that without remedy. You, I know you think I'm spending a lot of time on giving you the introduction to this, but if you get this introduction in the overall picture, when we get into the meat of the verses, you'll understand exactly what we're talking about, about these warnings and about the promises of future restoration and future hope. You see, if you're not down, you can't go up. But if you're down and God promises He'll lift you up, then you have an opportunity to see on what conditions this will be brought about. And these minor prophets, all of them picture very much of what we're saying here about Hosea. So it's not only an introduction to Hosea, but it's an introduction to all the minor prophets in general. And you know, Gomer bore Hosea three children. We've already mentioned that. And then... She left him to live with other men. And God finally woke her up. Gomer pictures Israel backslidden. She left Hosea to live with other men. 
in a backslidden condition. I hate to get uh, over into it, but in verse 2, I want you to notice. It says in verse 6, verse 7, she shall follow after her lovers and shall not overtake them. It shows her following after her lovers. But we won't get there now. Let's don't go there because there's so much that we need to see from this uh, standpoint. But I want you to notice as we say that Gomer bore Hosea three children and left him to live with other men. Imagine how Hosea's heart was broken over her sin. For a good man, and he was a prophet of God, and his wife to leave him and go after other men, commit adultery. Then God commanded the prophet to go and find his wayward wife. Go and marry this woman, Gomer. And discovered that she had been sold in the slave market. You'll find that in 3 verses 1 and 2. And then he had to buy back his own wife out of the slave market and bring her home and assure her of his forgiveness and love. That's what God has done for us. He's bought us out of the slave market of sin and He's brought us back home to Himself and then assured us of His forgiveness if we repent and of His love. You get over in the 14th chapter and you'll find that God says, let me just give you that. If you want to turn to the 14th chapter, I want you to notice what it says. In verse, and we'll cover this more thoroughly when we get to the 14th, but look at, we're just showing you how God wanted <laughs> Israel to return. And He says, O Israel, return unto the Lord thy God, for thou hast fallen by thine iniquity. And He says, Take with you words and turn to the Lord, and say unto Him, Take away all iniquity and receive us graciously. So God not only calls them to repentance, but He gives them the words to say. Isn't that an amazing thing? God says, you, you say to me, uh, take away all iniquity. God's ready to do that. And He says, uh, and receive us graciously. God's ready to do that. So will we render the calves of our lips. Verse 4, He says, I will heal their backsliding. I will love them freely. For mine anger is turned away from him. Verse 5, I will turn as a dew unto Israel. He shall grow up as the lily and cast forth his roots as Lebanon. His branches shall spread and his beauty shall be as the olive tree and his smell as Lebanon. And so on. That 14th chapter is a wonderful lesson of repentance and faith and restoration. But let's get back to what we're talking about as far as introduction is concerned. So Hosea had to buy his own wife back and bring her home and assure of, a, of her, his forgiveness. And we have every reason to believe that Gomer repented of her sins and became a faithful wife. After all this terrible fall and falling into sin, that she repented and turned to uh, return to Hosea after he had brought her back from her uh, bondage in the slave market and uh, that he restored her. And we believe that her restoration worked out. It's kind of like the prodigal son running off to the far country. And when he returned, well, he was restored to fellowship with God. And all of this that we're talking about pictured Israel's unfaithfulness to the Lord. This is how Israel was unfaithful to the Lord. The nation was married to the Lord and should have remained faithful to Him. Let's show you some references. The nation being married to the Lord. Exodus 34, 14-16. <clears throat> I think it'd be well if you'd look these up. <clears throat> Exodus 34, 14 through 16. 
Notice what it says here. It says, For thou shalt worship no other God, for the Lord whose name is Jealous is a jealous God. Lest thou make a covenant with the inhabitants of the land, and they go a-whoring after their gods, and do sacrifice unto their gods. And one call, call thee, and thou eat of his sacrifice, and thou take of their daughters unto thy sons, and their... Uh, uh, take of their daughters unto thy sons, and their daughters go a-whoring after their gods, and so make thy sons go a-whoring after their gods. Thou shalt make thee no molten gods. He tells them first of that situation. Now, Deuteronomy 32, verse 16. Deuteronomy 32 and verse 16. And just couple all these thoughts together in uh, God's warning first. And then what God says about them being married as we progress along in these references. 32 and verse 16. Notice what it says here. It says, They provoked him to jealousy with strange gods. With abominations provoked they him to anger. They sacrificed not to God. They sacrificed unto devils, not to God, to to gods whom they knew not to the new gods that came newly up, whom your fathers feared not. Of the rock that begat thee, thou art unmindful, and hast forgotten God that formed thee. They forgot God. Now let's look at Isaiah 65, I mean 62, verse 5. Isaiah 62 and verse 5. And then we have one in Jeremiah, and we'll close. 62, verse 5, it says, For as a young man married a virgin... So shall thy sons marry thee. And as the bridegroom rejoiceth over the bride, so shall thy God rejoice over thee. So, God rejoiced over Israel, just as a young man that married a virgin. For as a young man married to a, vir- married a virgin, so shall thy sons marry thee. And as the bridegroom rejoiceth over the bride, so shall thy God rejoice over thee. Now, let me give you Jeremiah 3, verse 14. Jeremiah, chapter 3, and verse 14. It says, Then uh, turn, O backsliding... Now, this is the key to God's relationship here to Israel. We've already been warned about how that they would turn to other gods away from God and how He would be jealous. You know, a husband is jealous of his wife. Should be. And God is jealous over us. With a godly jealousy. Paul says, I'm jealous over you with a godly jealousy. Even to the churches. Uh, God was jealous over Israel of old. And He's jealous over us to be truthful, to, uh, true and faithful to Him. But this verse shows their condition to God that we've been talking about. Uh, Jeremiah 3 verse 14. He says, Turn, O backsliding children, saith the Lord, for I am married unto you. I am married unto you. Jehovah considered Israel to be his own as a wife. For I am married unto you, and I will take you uh, take you one of a city and two of a family, and I will bring you to Zion. And I will give you pastors according to mine heart, which shall feed you with knowledge and understanding. And so and so. He <laughs> promised restoration and care for them if they would but return. I mean, all these lessons are so practical, aren't they? So the nation was married to the Lord and should have remained faithful to Him. But instead, Israel lusted after sin. 
and especially after these false gods of other nations, the first three references we gave you showed how that God warned them not to fall and, uh, and worship the gods of these other nations. And in doing so, she committed spiritual adultery. And by forsaking God and worshiping the idols of her enemies, they promised her many pleasures. You know, all the, remember in the days of Solomon, how that all of Solomon's wives, 700 wives and 300 concubines, a thousand women to deal with. And all of them, almost all of them, leading him away from his God. Talk about temptation and trials. And they succeeded. So at Solomon's last days, as great as Solomon was, his heart was turned away from God to idolatry, to idols. Because he permitted it to be so. You know, you and I can get so bound up with personal uh, attractions or attention that we fail to take our stand. Someone says, well, that's a friend. Or that's a sweet person. And so on and so forth. Don't become too friendly with the worldly because they can lead you away from God. You say, well, they're such a nice person and they just do this. Yes, but if their heart's not right with God, it doesn't make any difference how nice they are. Now, this is serious business we're talking about because this is the way people get get sidetracked. They say, I've known that person for years and they wouldn't harm a flea. I've known rattlesnakes for a long time, but I don't want to get too close to them. And, And that's exactly what happens when they creep around and come around with with Satan's uh, theories and ideas and idolatry. And uh, we've got stuff on the television that leads people away. I mean, it's full of it. We talk about the Harry Potter stuff. What about this uh, Lord of the Rings? You heard that advertised on TV? All kinds of idolatrous things are going on. If preacher were to pick out every one of them, he'd be preaching on all the... about. 90% of the movies that come on on your television screen and telling you the evil's there and how that they lure people away from the truth. So you better be careful what you look at. It's bad enough to look at the news, isn't it? But anyway, and we know it's, it's reality. We know we're facing those things in life. But still, you know, you, you see what's going on in our nation. But the, Israel lusted after these false gods of other nations and she committed spiritual adultery. And she fell into worshiping these idols of her enemies. Of her enemies. Someone said, I don't want any enemies. Well, you're going to have them. And the Bible teaches that we have to fight against the, the wiles of the devil. And although that they promised her many pleasures, she discovered there was pain and sorrow as well. When we get into this study in the next chapter or two, you're going to find the sorrow and the pain she went through. And like Gomer, Israel would go into slavery or captivity because of her sins. And they went into the Babylonian captivity, remember? I mean, the Assyrian captivity. But that is not the end of the story. Just as Hosea sought out his wife and brought her back, so the Lord will seek out His people and He'll set them free and He'll restore them of His love and of His blessings. And you can trace the names of these three children. And in doing so, you trace the history of Israel. The first one we gave you. Now, you can mark these now. I'll try to conclude with these thoughts here. Jezreel means scattered. Jezreel. Mark that in verse... uh, Where we have it? Verse 4? Let me turn back to... Okay, verse 4. Jezreel 
It means scattered. Referring to the time when God would scatter Israel among the nations. And then lo rahama means unpitied, meaning that God will lift up His mercy from the nation and permit them to suffer for their sins and they would be unpitied during this time. And Loamah means not my people, indicating this present time in God's program when Israel is out of fellowship with God and His people and are not His people as once they were. They're even at this present time scattered. But we go on and I'll just give you a summary of what you can expect and we'll close. In, in 2 verse 1, we see that there will be a time when God will cause, call Israel instead of saying, not my people, He'll call them my people. Instead of not having mercy upon them, He will say that they've obtained mercy. And when Christ returns and restores the nation and establishes His righteous kingdom, that's 3 verses 3 through 5, we have a summary of spirituals, uh, Israel's spiritual condition and what it will be in that future. So He's not through with them yet. And we can't leave these chapters without pointing out that spiritual adultery can be the sin of New Testament Christians, which we've already hinted at. In the book of James 4, verse 1 through 10. First uh, John chapter 2 says, Love not the world, verse 15 through 17, neither the things that are in the world. For if we love the world, the love of the Father is not in Him. He says, All is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. Is not of the Father, but is of the world. And it says the world passeth away, but he that doeth the will of God. You like that? He that doeth the will of God abideth forever. Amen. And so we find that uh, we're warned. Revelation chapter 2, verses 1 through 7, speaking of the church of Ephesus, how that they had, had left their first love and they had turned away from God. And God warns them to return and repent. Now, Christians who love the world and live for sin are false to their Savior and they break His heart. And Paul warned the Corinthians against this, as well as uh, Peter and John, all of them in the New Testament warned against this particular thing. Well, our time is gone. I know this has been a lengthy introduction, but we'll get into the meat of it as we look in the first chapter and we'll come back and we'll start really studying the verses in chapter 1. But this was just introduction to uh, what we'll find not only in all the minor prophets, but what we'll find here in the book of Hosea. And you'll find that the pattern follows through with all the minor prophets in, uh, to a great degree.